0: Okay, I'm going to be very honest with you. Today's topic is something I've personally wrestled with bringing onto the podcast for some time now. To be honest, it's not a topic I know tons about, but it is beginning to affect my family. I know many people who are touched by this topic, and as they get older, I'm sure it's going to affect them even more. At the same time, I'm embarrassed to say it took me ages to get the link to this topic and the podcast subjects of employee engagement workplace culture. It took my wife less than a second. When I spoke to her about it, she gave, me, she gave me one of those looks that immediately makes you think, oh, I've been an idiot, haven't I? And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had one of those looks. The subject matter is the menopause and the effect it can have on employee engagement and well-being in any business. And I sincerely hope this episode goes some way to Educating people like me so I understand more about how it affects the people I care about, but also to get a better understanding of how businesses can and are dealing with this and the positive effects that can have on the women going through it, the other people they work with, and the businesses themselves. After all, 52% of the working population are affected by this. So it actually feels like a complete no brainer as to why we should be talking about it on here, which makes me feel even more stupid for waiting so long. So let's just get on with it. To help guide me through this conversation and leave me, and I'm sure some of you with a much better understanding of it all, is the lovely Bev Thorogood. Now, Bev is a menopause specialist trainer and is breaking down the taboo of the menopause in the workplace and raising awareness for employers, managers, and colleagues in dealing with it. And today, we're going to get under the skin of the menopause, what it is, how it affects you, and why it's important for more businesses to understand this stuff and the benefits of doing so. Welcome to the show, Bev.
1: Oh, Andy, thank you so much. It feels like a long time since we've had a chat, so it's lovely to be here. Thank you.
0: It does. I mean, you are to blame for me having a podcast. You taught me the nuts and bolts of putting this sort of stuff together, for which I am eternally grateful. And it's just nice to have you on here to talk about a topic that I'm a bit of a numpty on and you are clearly an expert on, and I mean you've got in two weeks' time you've got a TEDx talk coming up on this stuff. So I feel I feel really privileged to get you on here.
1: Oh, thank you. It's interesting though because I, I still sort of quiver a little bit at the word expert. But you know, I think so many of us think, especially women, I don't think think oh, I should know about this. But the truth is, Andy, we don't get taught about it any more than men do. So when it does hit for many of us it's it's we're just clueless so you know it's not your your opening lines there about oh you know I feel like I don't know enough about this Mm. and um feel a bit ignorant to it you're not alone most of us across the board all genders have the same lack of understanding
0: I can see that I I don't know whether it's because It's a bit like, you know, when you go and think you're going to go and buy a car and you've never seen that car on the road before, then all of a sudden you see loads of them everywhere. Because this is now affecting my family, it feels to me like all of a sudden in the last maybe two, three years, this topic has really come to the fore. Am I just sort of putting two and two together at five or is there now a groundswell behind this?
1: I think there is a groundswell. Um, I've been in this arena now for coming up to four years. Mm And I would say there's definitely been a bit of a sea change in how people are talking about menopause, uh, the amount of conversations being had, the media is talking much more about it. We've had, you know, people like Davina McCall and mm. a couple of documentaries and Mariella Fostrop a couple of years ago. So it 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 is moving, and I get the I get the car analogy. Um and I have to sometimes stop and take a step back and think, actually, everywhere I look, people are talking about menopause. But then that is my day job. That's yeah. what I talk about all of the time. But I think I, I think there is a, a change. And I'm feeling it in the fact that when I do mention what I do for a living, I don't get that same rabbit in the headlights look oh, that okay. I used to get. Mm-hmm. People are more... Oh, okay, I've seen a lot about menopause at the minute. You know, tell me more about what you do, and there seems to be more of an openness to to go there.
0: I, I would say that has to be true. The temperature check on this is that, I mean, you scroll through LinkedIn now. I would say maybe one, two in twenty twenty five posts to have some kind of link to maybe not necessarily menopause directly, but associated wellness and what have you. Um, I think that that's definitely the case. Before we dig into you guiding me through some questions to help me and the audience understand. I, I sort of said you were a menopause specialist trainer. So, what does that involve? There, what, what what happens in your day to day? What are the sort of things that you're doing, and and what are I guess the things you're really focused on at the moment?
1: Yeah. So. I my I'm a trainer by trade, if you like. So <laughs> I spent you know, the last 10, 15 years of my working career before I gave up work uh, because of menopause. Funnily enough, mm. um, in in the learning and development world. So basically, my my business is spe- specializes in menopause awareness training for businesses, and the reason I do that is because and I'm sure we'll talk about some of the sets. An enormous number of women are doing what I did and leaving their career because of the impact of menopause, often not realising that's what it is, not asking for or getting the support that they need within the workplace. So I guess my raison d'etre, if you like, that the core reason why I do what I do is to raise awareness. Because without awareness and understanding of the problem, if you don't know there's a problem, you can't fix it. Right. Um, and I think a lot of the the time it's not that businesses are particularly bad at supporting people through menopause it's just not something that's ever come up before so they're not aware that there's a problem and I don't think many people when they do leave the workplace because of menopause actually say that that is the reason I certainly never had an exit interview in which I said I'm leaving because I'm struggling with menopause so we've got this sort of exodus of of valuable talent leaving the workplace because of an issue that if we were more aware of it, had greater understanding, better tolerance, we would be hanging on to that talent. So I guess in in practical terms, what do I do? I deliver training. I raise awareness through uh, training interventions uh, for everybody. So we, we have specialist trainings for line managers and for female colleagues who are experiencing symptoms so they can take some control of their own well-being. I also talk to uh HR teams about what they can do to support uh the menopause conversation within the workplace. How how do they embed a culture where it's okay to talk about menopause? Um and we offer, you know, so I guess the kind of lunch and learn webinar style um trainings for all employees to just give that sort of high level overview of what is it what's the impact how do I recognize it and what can I do to support colleagues. Um, We also run a menopause champions program which is a six-month supported program where people from within an organization are nominated or they volunteer to be menopause champions in much the same way I guess you would have mental health first aiders they're there to be that kind of first point of contact, that listening ear, that conduit between management and the, the people on the you know on the shop floor, um, and, and kind of carrying the conversation on. And finally, we've just launched our e-learning. I, I mean, sounds like a uh. big plug, doesn't it? But one of the one of the biggest issues we have in terms of getting buy-in around understanding what menopause is, is trying to encourage managers that it's an important enough topic that they need to take time away from their day job to to learn about so our workshops are normally three hours long which is great because you get loads of engagement and you get an opportunity to, to really embed what what it is and think about well how can how does this apply in my team or in my sort of area of responsibility but we did recognize that three hours is a big chunk so we've we've just launched. Uh, we we've worked with uh, the the L&D team at Channel Four to create this e-learning module, which is just thirty minutes on demand. You can kind of sneakily go and do it, and nobody needs to know you're doing a menopause training. And we've kind of condensed the information that they need into that. So training is the 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 short answer to your original <laughs> question. What do we do?
0: We train. I mean, that's why it's great to have you on here, because this is a topic you don't have a problem talking about. And there's more to it than just delivering training, I know. Um, I wrote down three words while you were talking, which I think might help us sort of frame some of these conversations and maybe start with some stats and what have you. But the sort of three things that came out for me were retention, you know, that link to retention, which is another stupid no-brainer reason why you should be here you know my topics around engagement and culture are all about retention and so why wouldn't we be talking about this conversation I think is an is another key word and the one that I've written underneath that is confidence because Mm. I think to your point actually being confident feeling equipped to even have this conversation or be able to respond to someone who's been brave enough to come forward and said, I'm really struggling with this. What can you do? I think that that is critical. Um, and I want to learn more about that during this conversation. I, I did some some research. There's loads, right? Let's be honest. There's there's loads of it. But in an attempt to try and have a better handle on this, I think you mentioned before the scale of people leaving. Well, it's no, not people, women,
1: well, no, it is businesses. people. It's not just a purely female issue. You know there's there's not a huge amount of research or studies being done, but of course, transgender, non-binary people, if they've menstruated at any time in their life, regardless of how they identify now, may well be impacted.
0: And by there you this. go. There's the first pothole I've fallen into, right? But the number sounded staggering, right? Like nine hundred thousand, nearly a million, Is that does that sound right? Have left work because of menopause? I
1: I struggle a little bit with the stats around how many people are leaving the workplace because how do you quantify that? Mm. I left my job. I look back now. I realise menopause was a major factor.
0: You never reported it, but I didn't
1: report it. And I would say the vast majority of people that do live their place of work because of the menopause probably didn't report it either. 900,000, I would say, wouldn't be an unrealistic estimate, mm-hmm. but I think it's very difficult to quantify. So that came from a report done, I think it was done by uh, an organisation called the Menopause Experts, mm-hmm. um, alongside some other organisations that kind of got together to do this this study. But the Fawcett report came out quite recently, and I think that talked about 330,000. Now, that's quite a big difference, 330,000 yeah. to 900,000. Do you know what? It really doesn't matter if more than one person is leaving the workplace because they don't feel supported through what is in reality a natural life stage. That's a problem we need to address. The fact that it is much, much bigger than that just makes it more urgent.
0: It's it's likely to follow the sort of iceberg model, isn't it? We'll, we'll get the reported number, the big number affected underneath is going to be a lot, a lot bigger. I also read a stat, and again, call me out if it's, bogus or wrong but women approaching dealing with the menopause are the fastest growing workforce demographic at the moment
1: yeah yeah so i think there's something like 4.4 million women over the age of 50 in the workplace Uh, we are a growing um, sector of the workforce now menopause Doesn't just happen to women in their 50s. Um, And I think that's that's one of the key areas that we try and break down some of the the misconceptions around this. Menopause is not a middle-aged woman's issue. It's a female issue. Well, let me just backtrack on that, as I've just contradicted (laughs) myself. In the main, in the main, it's a it's a, a woman's issue, but it doesn't just affect women of a certain age. However, about ninety-five percent of those who reach menopause will be between forty-five and fifty-five, and we know that women over fifty are the fastest-growing sector of the workforce and are likely to continue working until they're probably sixty-seven to retirement age, if not beyond. You know why? We're, we're we are an aging population, but we're actually we're, we're aging to the point where we want to continue adding value to the world for longer. So it could be much later than that. So we are going to see more and more women working through their menopause transition and beyond it. And it's a bump. There are a few bumps in the road, shall we say, in that menopause transition, which can be sort of five, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years long. So it's quite a significant bump in the road. But if you consider that where we've got people who are maybe coming into the working um, to the workforce, 18, 19, yeah, yeah, yeah. working right through until they're 68, 70. It's not that big a transition in the minute, in the middle. In the minute? Don't know where <laughs> that came from. In the middle. Um so if we if we can support women to be able to continue to add value to the workplace, it just makes sense. It makes economic sense, it makes social sense, it makes every kind of sense not to lose those women when you know, most people are at kind of the I don't want to say the peak of their career in their 40s and 50s, because I think that suggests that it's all downhill after that. And I don't believe that's the case. But we've probably had 25, maybe 30 years of skills, knowledge, experience, building, and we've got this point in time where we're really ready to to bring that 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 those skills and, and experience to the table. And we're not recognising this bump in the road.
0: See, I think that's really important because that is a material loss to a business. When you think of the skills, knowledge, experience that that individual has built up at that point. Again, I read somewhere that on an average salary of 30 grand, say, losing that woman at that point to menopause or, or other things, likely costs about twenty-five grand to replace in terms of experience, training, getting someone up to speed, all of that kind of catch-up, yeah. right? Well,
1: I've heard a different step. So I've heard uh, it costs on average two hundred and thirteen percent of a person's salary. Well, they,
0: I mean, to be able to goodness.
1: replace them. And again, what is it they say? There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. <laughs> so we never know whether they're right or not. But it's to be Costly. It's going to be costly. Recruitment it's- is costly.
0: Yeah, and, and I think the point being at this life stage and in general in someone's career point, mid-40s, 50s, there's a lot to replace. It's not like a new starter who's only just sort of like getting their feet wet um, at work, right? This is somebody who's built up a great deal of experience and you you might be able to replace that, but it's going to come at a cost. It's it's going to come at a cost. I think that's kind of the point here. I wonder whether we can just maybe look at some basics for us, right? So there's, I guess there's two things I would like to try and, try and understand and cover. How women are mainly affected? What are the sort of main uh, ways it would manifest itself and particularly how that affects people at work? And then whether within that, Bev, you can kind of like bust some preconceptions. You've already started today some of the biggest preconceptions that people will have around its prevalence and its effect on the work. Force.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think to, to kind of go to basics, we have to start with, well, what is it? Yeah, quite. You know, what is it? So menopause itself is just one day. It's the the date, 12 consecutive period, three months from the date of a woman's last period. Right. It's a diagnostic line in the sand that says this woman has now reached menopause. She mm-hmm. can't have babies anymore. She's not producing any eggs. Let's stop her periods. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, if it were only one day! <laughs> that, that is the di- kind of diagnostic line in the sand, which for many women is actually really quite difficult to to know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's lots of factors that can disguise that day. Uh, anything sort of from that day of menopause onwards until a woman dies, she's postmenopausal. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, she's premenopausal. So, a normal reproductive year, she's premenopausal. What we're really talking about when we're talking about menopause in the workplace is perimenopause, and it's the time leading up to, and um, for some women, a few years post menopause when they're likely to be symptomatic. Yeah. And the the symptoms are caused by fluctuating hormones. So if you think about our hormones as the kind of the chemical messengers that keep all of our bodily functions working as they should, when we enter perimenopause, some of them get a bit wonky. Yeah. Um That's a technical medical it term. Sounds like very uh, scientific. Yeah. So the three, I mean, there are lots of hormones at play, but the three key hormones that affect women in perimenopause are estrogen, which we would expect progesterone, mm-hmm. but also testosterone. So And this is have, the
0: interesting point, isn't it? I think this is not known by lots of people.
1: Yeah, we tend to think of them as male, have testosterone, women have estrogen. We all have all of them in different relatives relative amounts. but when women enter perimenopause and their ovaries start to release eggs more sporadically, as they head towards menopause they get a bit wonky my hands going up and down because it's kind of like you know they, it's like a um, a sine wave if you like of, of our hormones fluctuating so some days they'll be high some days they'll be low when they're high we feel great when they're on a low we feel crap i don't know how else to put it um and this can last you know anywhere from sort of four right up to ten years before somebody reaches menopause so the average age in the UK, if you believe in averages for a woman to reach menopause is 51. I want to throw that number out the window because it, there are so many variables, but in general, women will get there between 45 and 55, but about one in a hundred go through under the age of 40 and about one in a thousand under the age of uh, 30. So it's definitely not an age thing. No, so well. when you we were talking about misconceptions, you know, the idea that it's an older woman's issue is. It's it's yep. you know. It can, and, and most women will start to feel the impact of perimenopause somewhere in their sort of early to mid forties, and it kind of ramps up as they get closer to to fifties. In terms of what that, how that manifests, mm. there's no one size fits all. You can't say women in perimenopause will experience this or will look like this. There are more than forty symptoms related to menopause. So it's very hard to say this is what it will look like. What we do know, though, is that there are certain patterns of symptoms that seem to cause the most distress for a lot of women. Hot flushes is the obvious one. We mm-hmm. tend to associate hot flushes with um, with menopause and mood swings, and you know that sort of emotional roller coaster. But I think that what I've started to realize over the last six years since I've been going through this is that actually it's the cognitive and the psychological symptoms that cause the most distress. Brain fog. Our brains rely an awful lot on estrogen. It's a neurotransmitter. It modulates other hormones that are going on in the brain, such as dopamine. It's, incidentally, is what my TED talk is going to be about. Oh, cool. Um So the brain can be affected quite significantly and lots of women worry that they get an early onset dementia because their brain fog uh, manifests as poor word recall, um, inattentiveness, uh, lack of concentration, poor focus, memory loss. And not just kind of absentmindedly forgetting stuff, because we all do that, but having almost like blank Blank areas in the brain. You, know, I could ha- be having this conversation with you, Andy. Two hours time, somebody mm. will say, "Oh, so you had a chat with Andy." Mm. I go, "Did I?" Yeah. What did we talk about? And I won't remember now. Can you imagine in the workplace?
0: Wow, well, how
1: I, devastating that would be.
0: It'd be awful, wouldn't it? I mean, the and these are some of the symptoms that have been the ones that have triggered in me far more interest than I would have maybe had before. With with Heather, my my, my wife, that the brain fog has it's been a worry, yeah, for her, because we can both. I mean, I don't have the greatest memory in the world anyway, but we could both be sitting there thinking about words that we can't remember, or we can have had a conversation about what each other's doing, and then moments later, well, we never had that yeah. conversation almost. And,
1: and the thing is, Andy, if you're if you know that you've always been like that, you've always had a bit of a oh, yeah. I've never had a good memory. That actually, then you've learned to live with it, and it's just who part of who you are. If you've always felt like your brain was really sharp, like you had a, you know, your memory was always on point, that you never had, you know, anxiety around some simple things like getting in the car and driving down a motorway, mm-hmm. um, and all of a sudden you're seeing changes and you don't know why they're happening. That's when it becomes problematic. That's unnerving. When it, it massively you yeah. know so many women tell me and i, I get this myself uh, from my own experience I think, Am I getting early onset dementia? Mm, mm. What's going on here? I should be able to remember this sort of stuff. I should. I can't. You know, I'm always. I've always been able to juggle loads of tasks at once and stay on top of everything. And I could go into meetings and I'd have everything I needed in my head. And now I'm making notes on notes on notes because I'm really worried I'm going to forget something. And you're second guessing every decision you make. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Imagine what that does to your self confidence, your yeah. self esteem. And it's those psychological and cognitive, that that kind of collision that happens when the cognition starts to get disrupted, erodes confidence, self-esteem. Imposter syndrome comes up quite regularly. And I know, I'm not sure I particularly like the the words imposter syndrome. I think it kind of gives the the wrong um, meaning, but self-doubt. You start to second guess and self-doubt yourself.
0: And when you do that, you withdraw, right? You, you yeah. in yourself you withdraw. Now, in a in a work environment, to see somebody who was all over it, snappy and seemed really engaged and on it, to then see them withdraw without having any thought about what we're talking about today, you can wrongly get the impression, well, they've checked out, they're not they're not really with us anymore. They're not engaged. They're, they're not yeah. engaged, they're not performing, mm, gotta got keep an eye on, on that person. I think um, there's
1: another element to this as well, especially when you've got younger people within the organization, and there's and I'm so guilty of this. I look back to my younger days, seeing some of the older women that I worked with and thinking, oh, she's a bit doolally. What's right. the matter with her? You know, maybe she should retire. You know, she's obviously lost the plot. And I, I to my shame, <laughs> I think I was guilty of that. And I get it. But had I been better educated, had I understood that actually she's not past it she's just having a few wobbles because of hormonal changes and i think actually the younger generation coming through now are much more clued up to mental health and all of the other bits that go with it so it wouldn't be difficult to educate them i,
0: I think they're ready for i mean the conversations i have around the dinner table with my 18 and 60 year old are way way deeper and <laughs> more philosophical and more aware of so many more things than i was at, at that end yeah. so i think you're right i think they're they're ready for this stuff they'll take it on there a, there's a greater thirst for that awareness i think in in that sort of generation I so, hope so yeah well that would be a nice hopeful thing to have in our mind wouldn't it mm-hmm. so if if these are the kind of like i i hate to use the word major because everybody's being affected differently but perhaps some of the more common things that are being affected how are we seeing these things now dealt with in a business sense what well, what are a lot of the businesses that you're talking to having to having to deal with how are they dealing with it how do you help them
1: oh well, that's a 50 million dollar question <laughs> isn't it how how well, i think there's so many facets to this first of all the individual who's experiencing the problems has got to talk about it yeah has got to open up because let's face it, if nobody knows there's a problem, you can't fix it. Mm. And I'm going to backtrack on that because you can't fix menopause. It's not, nothing's broken. But if you're not aware that there's a problem, you can't support it, put it that way. So in order for people to feel comfortable to open up about what they're going through, you have to have a culture where they feel safe right. and where they're not going to fear that it's going to be in any way career limiting. Or that they're going to be disadvantaged in any way or ridiculed. Or, you know, I just talked to somebody the other day who had had a conversation with her manager, uh, a male manager, unfortunately. And she was trying to explain to him the brain fog and the impact it was having on her, on her work. And his response was, Well, I hope you don't think you can use menopause as an excuse.
0: Well, he actually said that. Yeah. What in today's? In land? today
1: as well. Yeah, it still happens, you know. And, and she left feeling even kind of more concerned and worried that she's got the, you know, she's struggling and she dared not speak up about it because it's not going to be received well. Um, So I've lost my train of thought. That's menopause for you, Andrew. (laughs) Um, So, yes, you've got to make it safe for women to be able to open up, or people to open up about what they're going through. And that means you've got to step back beyond the point of which there's an issue you can't wait until somebody's got an issue to start putting in place a culture that makes it safe. So I think organisations really need to look, certainly from the top down, I think it's got to come from the senior management, senior leaders saying we recognise and we appreciate that there are issues that some of our employees will go through as they go through the mentors transition. And quite honestly, if they don't, they're short-sighted because we've already spoken about the, the, the kind of the exodus of, of women leaving the workplace. How do they do that? I think it's got to start with understanding and awareness and education. Yeah. It's got to be, let's understand the issues. Let's look at our systems, our processes, our policies. Are they menopause-friendly? I'm actually not a huge I was going to say not a huge fan of policy. There's definitely a place for a menopause policy, but I don't think it has to start there. In fact, I would say it definitely shouldn't start there. I think you can look at your existing policies, absence management, performance management, ed Look at all of those, your wellbeing strategy. Is it menopause-friendly? Look at those policies through the lens of menopause symptoms.
0: I was just going to say, without wanting to sound like a complete idiot, when you say menopause-friendly, what does it that you really mean by that
1: i suppose that's a really good question i suppose i mean creating an environment where somebody who is experiencing menopause related symptoms can get the support and the help that they need right um without having to jump through hoops without having to face the embarrassment of saying i've got this problem yeah um where where it's just an a normal conversation Look, i've broken my ankle i need i i I need to be able to have a workstation where i can put my leg up we wouldn't think twice we need to be able to have an an environment where it's safe to be able to say i'm struggling with menopause symptoms these are the this is the support that i need and in reality most of that support is fairly easy Mm. to to um, put in place you know we've got the obvious things like localized cooling giving somebody the opportunity to get a desk back (laughs) not everybody who's going through menopause works at a desk but it could be looking at uniform policies it could be looking at working um times start and finish times flexible working work from home covid's done a huge amount in in terms of moving that element forward but also just you know maybe if somebody's really struggling with hot flushes, being able to take more regular breaks so they can go and find a, I like to call it a decompression room (laughs) um, where, you know, or if somebody's feeling a bit overwhelmed or anxious, which is very, very common, Mm. they can take a step back, walk away. Because most of the time, you know, there's nothing worse than having somebody who's menopausal on your team and everybody's walking around on eggshells. Right. Um, So, This is where I think, you know, the the menopause friendly environment is okay. We recognize you're, you're, you're having an off day. We're not going to walk around on eggshells. We're just going to say, do you know what? Go and take a break. You're getting overwhelmed. Go and take a break and come back when you're feeling more like yourself. Where you can talk about it. You know, I think you mentioned conversation earlier. Mm. It has to start with making it easy to, that's my dog. Sorry, making it easy to have conversations.
0: I think that eggshell thing is important as well, though. You mentioned on the other side. So take someone like me in my career as a manager or as a leader. There's a whole piece around giving me the tools and confidence to have conversations without the fear of embarrassing somebody, embarrassing myself, putting my foot in it, causing a problem when there shouldn't really be one. I mean, these are all the silly things that will fly around your head in trying to approach a conversation with something you're not, holy au fait with right and the risk of and sometimes in today's world the risk of saying the wrong thing to the wrong person maybe not intending to but delivering that is is a real thing i think
1: and i think there's a there's a responsibility on women themselves to make it easy for other people to have the conversation with them to not take offense and i've always said a well-intentioned but clumsy comment or clumsy um Wording something mm. you know if somebody says something that's well intentioned but a bit clumsy it's not let's not rip them apart. let's recognize that this is an uncomfortable conversation, and us being offended by somebody's maybe misguided choice of words as long as it's not coming from a place of ridicule uh, you know there's a very there's a very different of course um sort of thing going on there, but if somebody's genuinely genuinely interested in trying to do their best to support you and they just happen to use a bit of terminology that on a better day you'd probably want them to use different wording let's let's not shoot them down in flames let's make it easy um but i think we have got you know we've got an awful lot to unpick and unravel and kind of reverse the the whole I don't remember the Les Dawson when he's dressed as a you know Ada. I can't <laughs> yeah so hawking up the boobs and and you know that that stereotypical middle aged woman menopausal woman we've got to, we've got to unpick that and get away from, and I think that's where the offence is often taken mm-hmm. is that you know you're implying I'm old you're implying I'm past it we've got to kind of as women have to get over that. But also, we've got to recognise that there's a whole load of societal stuff that's already built up that we've kind of got to unpick as well.
0: I totally agree with that. But I, I think, you know, I would always want to advocate and stand on a soapbox for a human leadership style. Now, I just think that is befitting of the people who go to work, the people that are in your care. So for me, this is an extension of that human leadership of taking a an interest in someone's welfare, in being authentic and genuine with them and doing whatever it is you need to do to enable them to bring their best self and give you their best mm-hmm. effort, right? I mean, I think it's an extension of that.
1: And I think, you know, it comes down to respect, having respect for the fact that we are different. And whilst you might not understand or ever experience what somebody's going through, you can still have empathy. I talk about the three Cs a lot. I talk about... um Communication, which everything starts with communication. Of it does. I mean, you know, it's it feels cliche, but everything starts with communication. If you don't have the conversations, and let's face it, if you're a manager, part of the reason that you're paid as a manager is to occasionally have to have uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm. get around that. So the conversation has to be had. The communication has to happen. But if it can happen with from a place of curiosity and compassion, then my three C's: communicate with curiosity and compassion. It takes a lot of the pressure off the line manager to be the expert or to have all the answers. And, you know, curiosity for me is, you know, I don't understand everything. If you, if you came to me with a, a man issue, I'm not going to understand it, but I can find out. Tell me more about that. Tell me what how that's impacting you. What sort of things can we do to support that? Ask questions. Don't try to fix things. I think, I think sometimes. Managers, and I get it; they they're problem solvers, and they they feel like there's a problem that needs to be solved. Mm. Menopause women aren't a problem to be solved. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? We're not we're we're not a problem to fix. But asking questions, getting curiosity, and uh, getting curious rather, and coming at it from a place of compassion. So you know, I try to understand and empathise with what somebody's going through, and not judge, not, you know, questioning your own assumptions. Self-awareness should be, you know, self-awareness in a manager should be um, inherent, really, you know. Uh, If you're not aware of your own um, assumptions and your own biases, it's going to be very difficult. And we all have biases, don't we? You know, we all do make assumptions, but having that willingness to ask questions and find out um is is so important so yeah my three is.
0: i love that i really love that and it, it does end up coming back to exactly what you say and the self-awareness piece for any manager in any situation is incredibly Im- important because you need to understand we well, need to understand your impact on the world as well as how you can better influence other people right that's a, a lot of the personality stuff that i end up doing sometimes those are the biggest light bulbs that go on for people. It's like, oh, I had no idea. That's not what I meant. Well, it might not be what you mean, but that's how you're perceived.
1: Yeah. And, that's, and thats I, I find it, that fascinating. You know, we talk a lot about diversity in mm. the workforce. And we think about race and we think about gender and we think about those sort of normal kind of <laughs> diversity issues. But we often don't think about the fact that we just have diversity of perspectives. We have mm. diversity of... You know, neurodiversity, we we think we don't all think the same. And I think when it comes to kind of menopause, staying on topic here, there's a diversity of how people will experience menopause as well. So even if you if you're, you know, we tend to focus on male managers don't get this. They need to know more. Actually if you're a woman and you've gone through menopause you've only got your own experience you've only got your own perspective so even then you've got to get curious you've got to be asking what the other person is going through and and put in support for them in 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 a kind of on a case-by-case basis what do you need what would help you
0: i think that's incredibly interesting because you do end up stereotyping don't you you know, well, I've done it, therefore, that's what you're experiencing. It's the same as that self-awareness piece. So, what should businesses be doing then, Bev?
1: Yeah, I think you know raising raising the subject, making it easy to talk about the subject. So you know that there are kind of best practice measures, so having a policy or guidance documents, awareness training for all employees, particularly line managers helping managers to feel confident to have the conversations, but also looking, as I said earlier, looking at their policies, looking at their systems and processes, making sure that they're not detrimental. There's a legal obligation here. You know, um, We, Um, from the health and safety point of view, we need to be making sure that processes and systems aren't unsafe for those experiencing menopause. Now, that's a big one because mm. actually if you've got women who haven't actually said that, they have a no problem. So I'd say look at look at all of your tasks, especially safety critical ones, just have a glance at it through the the, the lens of menopause symptoms. If you and, and most of them won't be just menopause, you know, if you've got somebody who's, I don't know, using a piece of machinery or driving a vehicle where there's a safety implication, and you've got somebody who's had a really, really bad night's sleep, mm. night sweats, wake five times in the night absolutely exhausted coming to work you'd make an assessment of that person um and and their safety to to go and handle that bit of machinery or that vehicle that's not just menopause you get you know get a man who's just had a brand new baby he's probably going to have similar issues so i think it's just looking understanding the symptoms and looking at processes and systems and tasks through the lens of menopause And not do it, not make it a tick box exercise. I think, come back to your original question, what can businesses do? There's an awful lot of, oh, let's do a lunch and learn. Let's put a webinar on. Okay, we've done that. We've done menopause. Mm -hmm. Well done. And we've got World Menopause Day coming up on the 18th of October. And lots and lots of organizations will be raising awareness of menopause on that day. And that's brilliant. I'm absolutely not suggesting that that shouldn't happen. But women aren't menopausal for one day a year. No. You know, so it has to be a conversation that's continued. And I'm working with some businesses that are doing amazing things in terms of really, really understanding how their industry might um, support or be a barrier to somebody who's, who's going through menopause. And they're... Embedding menopause champions within their organisation, so that you know they can use internal resources to keep the conversation going. They're putting on, you know, putting together um, employee resource groups and things spe- specifically around menopause. Sometimes broader than that. And the BBC are doing some great work around just life issues. You know, um, how can we support people as they're going through their their life because let's face it as humans we have complicated lives and sometimes we need more support than other times um so i I think it's the, the things that i think businesses can do more than anything is raise awareness and keep the conversation going
0: perfect i've come to this point in the show now Bev, that i call sticky notes i'm asking you now if you could to try and summarize your best three pieces of advice for anyone thinking of dealing with this at work that they could stick on Three little Post-it notes and and take them away.
1: I don't think they'd be tips, but I think there'd be three areas to concentrate on. Great. Um, So on my first sticky note, I would have emblazoned in big letters, educate. Educate your staff. Educate yourself. If you are a woman going through this or a person going through this, educate yourself. If you're an organization, educate your people. Second sticky note would be advocate. So speak out, you know, it's all very well having um, having training in place, but actually we need people, we need allies, we need male allies in the workplace, we need advocates who will speak out for those who maybe don't want to talk about their own issues um, and advocate for yourself, you know, to advocate is to speak on somebody's behalf, speak on your own behalf. If you're struggling, speak out. And the third one would be facilitate. Make it easy for people to be able to ask for help and support. Make it easy for your manager to be able to talk to you about menopause. Make it easy for people to find the information that you might be sharing within the workplace. If you've got a policy, make it easy for people to access it. Uh, So there you go. They're my three. Educate, advocate, facilitate.
0: Brilliant. I really like those. I mean, they are they are a good rule of thumb for anybody to take forward, I think, with this sort of stuff. A good place to start. Bev, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on the podcast.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you.
0: And best of luck with the TEDx Talk. Can't wait <gasps> to you. can't wait to see that.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about it.
0: Well, I look forward to seeing it. You take care, my friend. Thanks, Andy. Okay. That was Bev Thorogood. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about her, or any of the things that we've discussed in today's show, please check out the show notes. So, that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.